I think it's important to go to a broker that is good at what they do, obviously. And I think the best way to get that information is from somebody who's already used their services. Welcome back to episode three of the Lone Dolphin podcast, The Home Stretch. Today, we're chatting to Chris Sales, an experienced mortgage broker based in Sydney. Chris is a finance and economics graduate who started his career as a credit analyst for St. George before moving on to ANZ, where he spent four years working in the commercial lending space. Chris has worked with clients with financing requirements of 90,000 through to 20 million, giving him experience right across the spectrum of client needs. How do you find a great broker and what questions do you need to be asking? Chris gives us the lowdown. Um, a good broker is someone that is proactive, um, can see three or four steps ahead. I think it's important that they understand what exactly you need and what you require out of this deal, out of this finance requirement. So whether you're buying you know, your first home, it's no frills, you're gonna be there for five, 10 years, you know, that's one product or one service. If you're someone that's constantly changing and um, you're looking to buy an investment property and you want to release equity and there's horses for courses when it comes to lenders. Some lenders are really um, flexible and practical. Um, The big four tend to be the ones that are willing to do the most types of deals. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when you want the cheapest of the cheap, then those banks obviously do offer cheap rates, but they're not as flexible when it comes to types of securities, where you want to buy... LVRs, so if you start to creep outside of certain areas, um, they tend not to be cheap anymore and they tend to be a lot more expensive. So I guess people are drawn in by the cheap interest rate and then once they go down the path of having the conversation, they realise, oh wait, hold on a second, these guys, there's no point offering me the best rate in the world when I don't even qualify for the loan. So I guess that's even another reason to engage a broker because we know what banks are going to waste your time and we know what banks aren't. So we can kind of filter through all of that through a discussion. Mm-hmm. And the benefit is, you know, you have the one conversation with us and we go away and we ask 10,000 lenders, 10,000 questions. Um, and then we come back to you with a condensed kind of options, which are we're kind of governed by. We have to provide the client with three specific options. Um, and then in those options are detailed rates, fees, um, features and stuff like that so right yeah um, and so are there any questions that people should be asking their brokers up front to avoid wasting that time with the wrong broker yeah well I guess some questions the client needs to ask well a good broker would ask the questions and the customer should only answer I think um, a good broker would needs to know whether the customer is an experienced purchaser or a, a um, first time purchaser I think a good broker will be able to distinguish between the two of them early on and ask the appropriate questions to get as much information out of that customer as they need mm-hmm. to make the, to get the deal done. Um, I know in my office, if you're a customer that's a first-time buyer, we have like a sheet where it explains the entire purchase process from start to finish. So it's like it's like a commonly asked questions, but we we um we put it in like a diagram with pictures. So. The customers one sheet um, they can read through it and, and I know look obviously I wouldn't read through because there's a lot of information that I already know but I think when you're buying your first property it's exciting you want to have something on paper that says all right well you know looking for property and then when the conveyancer comes in and they get pest inspection I need home insurance I need to get a conveyancer to help out with my settlement these are all things that we might know but as a first-time buyer they've got no idea so um, questions to ask look as I said, um, 
if you want to ask anything, ask it, but a good broker should be able to ask you enough questions to get the answers they need to, um, to be able to do their job and ultimately they're doing their job, they're, they're doing the job for you that you require to get their finance. So, look, I've been asked once or twice whether I'm university educated, <laughs> but um, I don't think that's really relevant in our industry. I am, but um, it's, it's a common misconception that you have to have a university degree to, to become a mortgage broker. Um, I've only been asked that once before and I found it quite funny, but um, yeah. That's really interesting. Um, so how did you get into mortgage broking? And, and is it a typical story? You know, <coughs> how, how do people tend to get into this profession? Yeah, look, I started, I went to uni and I did the economics finance double degree. And the idea was to go work for that investment bank or to become like a stockbroker like you see on TV. But once you get out of the university, the reality hits where it's, it's not that easy to crack into the market. Um, and then I kind of just fell into credit. So I was an underwriter at a, at a firm similar to what I own now. Um, two, three years I was there and then from there I became a credit analyst at St. George Bank. So I was approving loans submitted by mortgage brokers. I was there for about two years and I went and started um, at um, a commercial bank, ANZ. I was there for three to four years. And then it got to a point where I was, um, I was only an assistant manager at the, at the ANZ and commercial and I was like, do I really want to become a relationship manager, like take the step up? Um, and looking at the people and, and the industry and how the banks were kind of going, it was, you know, um, budgets were reducing, targets were increasing, disgruntled employees. I was like, I don't really want to be a part of this environment. I thought I had the skills and the knowledge on the credit side of things to, to, to write the deal and also felt that I was confident enough to, in the sales area to sell myself and the product, which I believe in strongly. I think the benefit of the mortgage brokering industry is really helping the end customer get the, the best rate. And obviously having a, a third party advise on products, it makes the banks more honest. So yeah. they can't be putting rates up on existing customers because I know, and especially regulations on moving between banks now, a lot easier. Banks are on notice in regards to having brokers there to kind of keep them in check because customers are, are more knowledgeable now with online banking and um, and with brokers there to help their hand, hold their hand, you know, we've got access to more and the systems that we have in place behind the scenes, they can't really um, pull the wool over clients' eyes. So I think it's a, a really important industry, yeah. for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's been um, a lot of light in the media um, on the mortgage breaking uh, industry recently with the Royal Commission and, and that kind of thing. And I think there's probably a bit of misunderstanding, um, you know, among the public. Um, what's your take on what's been going on and, and will it improve the industry and, and is it going to get to the heart of what the problems are? Um, look, I think it was, was a long time coming. Look, there's a couple of things that I've been calling for for a while. Like, I don't think... Um, I think you eradicate the bad broker when we just all pay the same commission across all lenders. Um, why some banks pay a little bit more than others and why some charge a little bit more than others is um, I'm not sure about. I think it's just a great market share within the banking system. Um, but in saying that, look, if you've got a broker submitting a client to a, to a, um, a bank that's paying half a percent higher because they get an extra $400, then at the end of the day, that broker isn't going to last in the industry because their goodwill is kind of get, going to get diminished because you can't be putting customers into rates because they're too savvy. There's too many things on TV, online about what rates are being offered the customer should be savvy enough to kind of know, oh, well, hold on a second, why am, I, why am I paying more and I shouldn't be paying more? And I guess if we eradicate 
for those customers that can't distinguish between what they should be on and what they are on, if we just eradicate altogether the payment structure in regards to, all right, just all get paid the same commission, we all get paid the same trail. So you're kind of eliminating those greedy brokers or the guys that aren't really in it for the 20 year term mm-hmm. and just in it for the quick win, the cowboys, um, you might want to say. You eliminate them from the market. Not to say they won't still be right in business, but they're going to start, oh, what's the point of putting them with this bank when I'm not going to get paid more money? Right. Let's put them with this bank because the rate's good. I get the same repayment. So, um, yeah, look, there's a couple of bad stories that have come out of it, but I think there's a lot of media beat up as well. Um, I think headlines sell newspapers and clickbait. So um, there's going to be some good things to come out of it, um, but I, I hope it doesn't go too far down to the to the direction where it becomes restrictive on the market because I think a lot of people, although they're calling for the Royal Commission, I think when the push comes to Sharpie, they go too far in one direction and then when they go to go that buy that property, they're going to have difficulty, they're going to be a little bit disgruntled. So it's that balancing act, what they need to do. So hopefully they get it right. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, on whole, it's a good thing for the industry and hopefully we get some um, good results out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned as part of that that uh, consumers are becoming more savvy and that's kind of putting a stop, a natural stop on some of this behaviour as well. Yeah. In light of that, do you get many people seeking out refinancing or is that still not something that's commonly done? Yeah, I think refinancing is um, something that's coming, becoming more and more popular, especially in, in the market and, and banks know that, so they're pricing accordingly. So it's, um, it's getting more and more difficult to, to refinance customers away because banks are kind of locking customers in and... They've got protocols to retain customers when they do try and leave. Um, but I think refinance is a great way to, um, to save money. I think people, especially I've seen the budget, people like making, well, the, you know, saving $500 a week or, or a year on, on a certain tax cut or mm-hmm. when you can, I can save a customer $2,000 a year on a refinance that costs yeah. them nothing to leave sometimes because banks are putting incentives in place where if you refinance we'll give you $1,250 cash back so it might cost you $800 to leave but certain lenders are offering $1,250 cash back so you're in front $400 from day one plus the the benefit of the savings you make on your interest rate so um, I think people are looking towards that avenue to to save on their household expenses Um, it is the biggest household expense so you're saving, you're trying to save on electricity, you're trying to save on your grocery bill. Well, I think that the most important thing that you look at is your biggest expense, which is your home loan. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it only takes a broker five to ten minutes to, to have a chat to you and get to you back to you in regards to what they can potentially get you in a savings. And then I guess it's on the consumer to, to decide whether they proceed with that, with that offer or not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you mentioned when you were speaking about the, um, the Royal Commission um, that potentially a uh, fix might be to level the playing field and, yep. and have fees very similar. Um, like if we go back a step even further, how do broker fees work? Um, I think maybe the people don't really understand that when they're going to engage a broker. And how does it work? What is trail and, and what yes. happens in that so, so I guess well, look, a misconception by, not a lot, but some people I still get asked today, like how much do I cost? So how we get paid as a broker is um, we get a percentage of the loan as an upfront payment. And then for every every year we get a trailing income which is paid monthly. So say on a loan, on average, the your upfront commission is about 0.6% on average across majority of the lenders. Some are less, some are a little bit more, so we'll go with 06 So 
on a half a million dollar loan, the banks will pay the broker approximately $3,000. And your trail on that would be about $750 a year. So every month you'd be getting approximately $65, $70, a bit less than that. And you'll get paid a lump sum of $3,000 up front. So in half a million dollars, you're getting three grand up front, one off payment, and you're getting a monthly payment of about $68. Um, this has to be disclosed to the customer as well, so the customer knows exactly what the broker's um, getting paid, both upfront and ongoing. Um, that's a regulation that we have to provide all customers um, upon our proposal to them in regards to which lender we go with. So the customer knows what, what I'm receiving and they know that they don't have to pay that. Um, there is a talks in the Royal Commission to go to a fee-for-service. Um, that's something that I actually want to touch on before. A lot of people, are, including myself, don't think that will benefit the brokering industry or the end consumer. I do feel that if we do go down that path, a lot of brokers will leave the industry and to the detriment of the customer because they don't have that um, free service anymore yeah. to kind of go and look at the market and find out whether or not we can um, get the um, deal over the line. And I'll be honest with you, I don't really believe that I can sell something. To, although I know I value add, I know there's people in banks and there's you know there's bankers that also value add to the customer. I know they can do. I can't. I won't say they do as good of a job as me in regards to providing um, the service to their customers because obviously I'm available twenty four seven seven days a week, but. To make a customer pay that money for something that they can get for free, it kind of really, it'll get rid of a lot of brokers in the industry. And all that will mean is that the banks have less competition because the consumer doesn't have someone they can go to that can get access to 30 banks. It's going to cost them money. So they're going to tend to not to go to those, to those brokers and they're going to go to their bank that their savings are with or that they've got internet banking with or their mom and dad are with and that's going to mean that they might be paying an extra half a percent too much. And then what you'll find is banks will realize the competition's kind of diluted and then they'll start to really manipulate the market and you know the rates will tend to go up. Right. And because consumers won't know, they won't have that person to protect them in regards to, all right, your rate's going up. I even at the moment, every two to three years, I'm calling customers and I'm doing a review of their, of their loans, either to keep their, contact their existing lender to bring the rates down in line with the market or taking them somewhere else if that's what they want if they're looking to buy something else because I think it's important to constantly review your rate uh, make sure it's in line with the market like you know we're constantly checking our phone plans and just like the phone plan today was the best in the market in two years time it'll probably be the worst it's kind of similar with a home loan so it's important to stay on top of um, your biggest debt and I think if we go for fee for service I think competition will go down. And I guess the big thing for me is why are we pushing to get the consumer to pay for something that the bank's already paying on the client's behalf? So if everyone's in uproar about how much money the banks are making, if the banks are willing to pay a broker for the service, why are we trying to make the client pay for it? Mm, yeah. So the client disadvantage on two fronts. They're having to pay for a broker now and ultimately in the long run, competition is is um is eradicated so right. they're gonna lose on both fronts so for me i don't see it coming in but there is talk about it but if it does come in then 
um, it will be to the detriment of the end consumer. Not necessarily the broker industry will, will really struggle and a lot of brokers will leave. Um, but at the end of the day, I guess we're all doing this. The Royal Commission is for the end consumer. That's who we're worried about. And I think if that is it to be introduced, then they will, they will suffer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned, you mentioned before um, that when you have a new client coming to your office who doesn't know any of this and, it, and yep. they're really fresh to it, yep. um, that you have a sheet with, that steps out each part of the process. Yep. Um, can you talk me through that experience? Like how, how do you coach a, a client through that? Um, so, so say they listen to this podcast and yep. they've got a bit of an idea about the fee structure and, and how it all works yep. and, and that kind of thing. But like, what about the actual transaction? How do you work with a client through that? So I guess the, the in the short of it, it's a lot of phone calls sometimes. <laughs> um, it always starts with, oh, I know, I don't, I feel dumb asking this question, but which is fine. Um, you're never going to have a sheet that has all the questions because all the answers because, especially with the loan, there's so many intricate kind of little things that take place. So you're trying to put as much on the piece of paper as possible. So look, I guess the first conversation you have with the customer, it's about finding out who they are, what they need, what they earn, what they want to buy. Is it an investment? Is it a purchase? Is it a owner-occupied purchase? Are they refinancing an occupied? So there's so many intricate kind of, you can imagine a flow chart in a yes to no kind of scenario and the amount of lines and squiggles on that flow chart would be, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know what piece of paper would fit that diagram on there. So, um, I guess the first port of call is to find out about them, um, their income, do they have a job? Sometimes people are calling you up and they've got no job and they're on Centrelink payments and they want to find out whether they can get a loan and a lot of the time it's a no. It's just sometimes, look, I don't really get many of those calls because obviously my referral partners are sending me leads that are, are qualified and you know kind of on the money of ready or almost ready or already existing customers. Yeah. Um, I guess... Questions that are asked, they're just, um, oh, how much deposit do I need? A lot of people forget about stamp duty. Um, they're like, oh great, I've got 20% saved for a deposit. I know I don't have to pay mortgage insurance. And then I say, well, did you remember about stamp duty? And they're like, oh no, I didn't. Well, what's that? Or how much is that? So people forget that there's obviously those stamp duty implications around um, purchasing a property. Um, other things are like who looks after the settlement you know some people still think that they get the money in their account and they, so they're pre-approved so these are the funny questions I get so oh I'm pre-approved for half a million dollars or when does the money hit my account it's like well no you have to wait till you find a property mm-hmm. then at settlement which is six weeks after you exchange on a contract you know you're going to the bank will come to the, to the settlement they'll provide a check on your behalf and that, then is there a loan in your account because they think that they get the money in their account, but they don't realise that mm-hmm. they could go to the casino and put it all on red and try and double up. So the banks don't really just release funds like that. Um, and surely until their, their mortgage is registered over that property as well, they wouldn't want to be released. Correct. Really. That's right. So it's all pre-approved. There's a lot of checks and balances that need to go into place. Um, so look, as a broker, as again, like we're always there to hold the client's hand. Um, you know, I do field calls at on Saturdays and Sundays and I do reply to emails on Saturday night or Sunday night if I'm on my phone so people are often shocked that oh my god you got back to me but look if I can reply to a text message if I can reply to you if you sent me an email at 10 o'clock on a Sunday night 
if I see it and I can reply to you straight away, then that's obviously a benefit to you to kind of get the answer that you need straight away. Yeah. Um, and customers really like that. Um, well, it's an anxious time, right? It's that's the right. Purchase of their life. They're that's right. They want you in life. That's right. So it's important that you're there to hold their hand for the people that need their hands held, and mm-hmm. it's important to. Obviously, big service is one thing, but you also want to deliver on, on the product as well. You don't want to be really good at your service and, you know, calling them back on time, but not putting them in a product that, that suits them as well, which is, you know, probably just as important as the service that you provide. I think yeah. they go hand in hand. So you want to make sure you're with a broker that obviously gets back to you on time and is um, proactive in their approach. And as I say, can keep two, three steps ahead. So you're not putting with a product that, is, you know, is going to be dated in six months' time when your circumstances change, and also one that's knowledgeable, which I guess comes from you know, doing it for such a long time and you know being, you know, across a lot of the products, and obviously that comes from writing a decent amount alone. So, yeah, um, yeah I guess that's what I'd say. Absolutely. Um, and just lastly, I wanted to talk about the process of say the customers come to you, they've got their property you've explored options, they think they've got the right one in front of them yeah. and now they're ready to apply. Um, what's that process like? Do you liaise with the bank? Like, How do you kind of get them through what I imagine is a lot of paperwork back and forth and a lot of confusion really? Yeah, so what I tend to do is we, we, we have a chat to the customer and we make sure they're happy with proceeding with us first and then we obviously send them a, a form, we call it a fact finder document. So on that form we'll have your name, date of birth, your address, um, your full assets and liabilities. So car, superannuation, shares, all that kind of stuff. We, we categorize that on our fact finder document because a lot of people forget what assets they have. You, I do refinances from houses sometimes and the clients forget to put the house as an asset. So we, we definitely spell it out for them. Um, where they work, how long they've been there for, liabilities, so credit cards, car loans, anything like that. Um, and also now we also incorporate into that a section for living expenses, which is a big thing in the market at the moment. So we really need to make sure the clients are being um, made aware of how important that they actually note their living expenses. So we actually categorize it per um, category as per the lenders. So there's no miscommunication between the both of us. So we go away with that, we do our analysis, then we come back to the customer with a detailed analysis based on the information we've received, their pay slips and um, all that, or their savings analysis, all that kind of stuff. Um, from that point, they get their loan amount, they can see whether or not it's where they want it to be or whether it's a little bit less than they want it to be. Um, if they're happy, then we'll give them an option of three lenders. Um, they just select which one they want to proceed with. And from that point, we, we auto-populate that into the, into the system, generate an application form, send it off to the customer, they verify the information, sign it, return it back to us. Then what we do is we submit that to the bank on their behalf. Then the banks either come back with a pre-approval or um, they come back with some outstanding requirements. So that might be, we can't see your driver's license clearly, your pay seems a little bit out of date, please explain why um, your year-to-date doesn't match up to your income. That could be something because they went on holidays, unpaid holidays for a certain amount of time or there's many reasons for that. Um, your saving statements were missing one month, stuff like that. So we iron out those concerns and then eventually you get your pre-approval. So that pre-approval will say, 
you, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, you're approved to purchase a property worth X and your loan will be Y. Yeah. Um, the customer takes that and they go out to the market. So some banks have a longer term for pre-approvals than others. Um, so it's all about educating the customer. Here's your pre-approval, please be advised that if you get towards the end of that, you're gonna, gonna have to renew it. We have systems in place where we contact the customer if they're getting close to the expiration, right. just to let them know, look, we need to update it. Some banks, it's as simple as saying, my situation hasn't changed, and some banks is, you know, please provide updated payslips. So it varies between different lenders as to what they need, but I guess from our point of view, that's about us, you know, educating and informing the customer of what we need to get the job done for them. So um, that's pretty much a high level start to finish, and then you got you exchange with the, with, the, with the real estate agent, put your five or 10% down, you convey it and then steps in with that process. The client will wait six weeks for settlement. So even though you exchange on say the 1st of June, you probably won't settle until mid-July. Yep. That's where your conveyancer will meet up with the bank and then the, the, the conveyancer or the person selling the property to you. They exchange checks overs and then the fun, the fun times begin when you start paying a loan off for 30 years and yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, fantastic. Well, I just had one last question to ask you and that was where do you see um, the broken market going between now and the end of 2018? Are there any trends that you're seeing or anything to watch out for for anyone uh, needing to engage a broker or anyone wanting to start as a broker? Um, look, I think the market is softening. Um, the volumes aren't as high as they used to be. I think that's a trend across, you know, you see it on TV and you see it everywhere that the market isn't as strong as it used to be. So even though the market might come down, I still think broker brokers are still writing the majority of, of loans. So I do see do see a trend of the up for brokers and the percentages that maybe the volumes in regards to the, the actual um, dollar value won't be increasing this year, but I do feel that the percentage will be maintained if not increased because I think... Um, it's always been on the rise and we're riding over 50% of the market at the moment. So I think that's a trend that's going to continue going forward. Um, and I think the banks have an intrinsic benefit of also using brokers. There's a reason why we get paid by the banks. It's actually a cost effective for them to use us rather than having the vast branch network. So I guess what people don't understand is how can you get paid and me pay the same rate? Like, how does that even make sense? Like, if you're getting paid a commission, then why am I, why, how could I get the same rate? It doesn't make sense. So what it means is instead of paying someone to sit in an office, pay them 80,000 a year, pay their super, pay their, you know, HR requirements, training, a desk, a phone, computer, sick leave, maternity leave, if they're either male or female, because banks obviously do both. Um, they can just have a broker there that they pay only when they write a loan. So mm. it's zero cost until they provide a benefit to the, to the broker. Yeah. Um, so that's why we get paid the way we get paid. Um, but you know, I think, back to your question, we're definitely going to see an increase in broker numbers. Um, sorry, not broker numbers. Percentage of broker loans being written. And I do, they do forecast in the next five to five years that would probably crack 60 to 70, 60% plus wow. of, of, um, of loans written by brokers. It's just based on pretty much what you've heard in this podcast. Like, it's zero cost to the client. We've got access to multiple lenders. You know, you're only going to go to a broker that has built goodwill, um, has been in the industry for, you know, you want one that's been in the industry for like three to four plus years. 
Um, so they're kind of trial and tested. They're not gonna, you're not gonna get sent to a broker by your accountant or your, your best friend that had a bad experience. And they're gonna, and at the end of the day, just cause your mate went with ING, doesn't mean you're gonna go to ING. That's the benefit. Whereas if you go to your mom who just goes, oh, go to my bank and you go to Westpac or you go to ANZ or you go to CBA, the big guys, um, they might not give you the best rate. And I guess on top of that, like I've had customers that I've spoken to in the past where they weren't aware of certain policies of certain banks. So they let's rewind two, three years ago when the market was going really hot. So you want to buy probably worth a million dollars. Two, three years later, that place would have been worth like 1.4, $1.5 million three or four years later. They were going to their bank and saying, oh, I want a loan. Say you're self-employed. Certain banks have certain policies. So say you're a self-employed applicant, you walked into a bank that needed two years tax returns, right? To average it out over two years. Say you had a really tough year in one and then year two, you had a really good year. They'll take the average and if great, the, the increase was greater by the 25%, they'd probably take the lower of the two. Um, so that bank might say no to you. So you'd go home, you'd go, all right, well, I need to have another good year next year and then I'll be able to buy. In that one to two year period, you might find that that place with a million is worth like maybe 1.3, 1.4 million. Right. So you're out of the market by $400,000. Whereas you went to a broker, they say, look, even though you had a bad year one, that year prior, the fact you've had a good, really good this year, this year, we can take you to this bank and you can buy this property today. So yeah. that kind of knowledge and experience makes a big difference. Huge difference. Not so much now where the market's kind of softening, but you go back two, three years ago, you know, that's a $400,000 turnaround. And on top of that, even say you weren't buying a million dollars, say it was 600000 or 500000 if it's gone up 30, 40%, that place is now worth seven fifty, seven hundred, dollars right? So now you have to save that extra 20% of that seven hundred dollars as well. So you have to save an extra, what, 140, 107 times two, yeah, an extra $140,000 just to get your, your, your LVO under 80%. Yeah. So there's such an importance on getting the right advice and when the service is free, then, you know, I, I, don't, I don't, as I said to you before, I believe in it. I can source something when, I want, when you believe in it and I totally believe in the product that I offer. If it goes to fee for service, then it'll be a little bit, little bit harder. But there's still this benefit there, just like the example I just gave you. Are you going to be happy to pay three to $4,000 for advice when it saves you $400,000 in a couple of years? So yeah. I guess that's the benefit. So that's why I think brokers will keep going forward as long as the, the, um, we're not restricted in regards to how we can provide our customers um, our service so we don't have to charge them a fee. Um, and I think you're going to see a, a massive surge in the number of written loans by brokers in regards to the percentage of the market. Awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much. No worries. My pleasure.